Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, the new often seems scary, especially to those of us who've been around for a while. The new is uh, disturbing, potentially. It um, threatens our sense of continuity and familiarity, but it doesn't have to. I'm in uh, Southern California this week, and in this place, 70 years ago, there were um, writers and actors working in show business in this community who were suddenly unemployable. They were suspected of uh, sympathies with the communists in the Soviet Union and elsewhere, and the industry imposed upon them something called a blacklist. You, um, if you were on this list, you could not get employed by a studio or a network in Hollywood or in the business generally. And as I say, it was called a blacklist. Well, now we're 70 years later and everything's changed. Russia isn't communist anymore. Nobody's communist anymore. But there are people in the media today who seem to be aligned with the positions of Putin's Russia. Tucker Carlson, other people on Fox News. And there are calls to shut them down. It's uh, something part of a larger thing going on these days called cancel culture. And a lot of folks find that disturbing, as I say. New, unfamiliar. We can all relax. It's not new. It's just a modern blacklist. You're welcome. Hello, welcome to the show. Out into the world with all the confidence and grace that luck and still Each and every girl with dresses pressed and faces fresh as daffodils. This can't be us, but those were not the cards that we were dealt. Sails and furls, what must it be to be so young and whole and free? This could be us, but we're the graves at which our fathers knelt. You're doomed to be a Kennedy when you could have been a Roosevelt. into the world where certain things will always be beyond our scope just to be a girl with Gina and pink and yard soul this could 
from the home of the homeless. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. In the great privacy battle waging now in our smart, smart, smart world, this uh, development this week, Facebook and Google fined by the French watchdog on uh, information and civil and liberties, liberties, civil liberties, I guess. Why? Well, there's a, a button on uh, both Google and Facebook's interface, visual interface, that uh, allows you to permit immediate acceptance of cookies. Those are those things that they uh, slap on websites so that you can be tracked on your peregrinations around the Internet. But they don't offer the user an equivalent button to refuse cookies that easily. So they've sort of, yeah, they sort of uh, put the thumb on the scale of cookiedom. Google was fined $150 million, sorry, million euro. Facebook got a 60 million euro penalty. So, yes, yes, it's a slap on the wrist. And the problem is, uh, of course, they've got about 150 million wrists. And now... I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. I don't know how much it takes to frighten a Brazilian biologist... But they're frightened. Biologists in Rio de Janeiro studying the presence of microplastics in marine life off the coast of Brazil's capital. No, it's not the capital. It's the most famous city. Have found the impact of plastic pollution is far worse than they'd feared. Reuters reports this. A team of biologists put on wetsuits and oxygen canisters to dive into the tropical waters around Rio and sample marine life from the ocean. They then measure the quantity of microplastics found inside the organisms in a lab. Best place to do it, I think. Plastic objects which end up in the ocean break down into smaller pieces, can eventually end up inside fish and other creatures. Quote, I was frightened. I knew I would find some microplastics, but I never thought it would be that much. Unquote. Raquel Neves a marine biologist at Rio de Janeiro's Federal University who finds the microplastics under a microscope. Even sea urchins extracted from what was thought to be a clean area designated a natural national <laughs> monument. It says natural here. Since 2010, so traces of plastic on the inside, the researchers said. Our role as researchers as academia is to show this, to raise a warning sign saying, this is wrong, wake up, said Neves. There are still ways to turn this around, but soon there could be none, unquote. Single-use plastic consumption increased during the pandemic so far. They write, as do so many, as if the pandemic is over. A 2020 study by scientists and industry experts for the Pew Charitable Trusts and System IQ predicts the amount of plastic pouring into the sea every year could rise from 11 million tons to 29 million tons. 
This could mean a potential total of 600 million tons of plastic in the ocean by 2040, equivalent to the weight of 3 million blue whales, the report said. That would frighten me. 3 million blue whales. And now a story of uh, particular interest to those of us in New Orleans, although it takes place in Bangor, Bangor, pardon me, in Maine. It is about blue tarpaulins, blue tarps. They uh, serve totally different purposes in Maine than they do in Louisiana. In Louisiana, they become ubiquitous after hurricanes when uh, they replace roofs on a lot of houses, pending the replacement of the roof. But uh, the Bangor Daily News reports that blue tarps are as much a part of the main landscape as pine trees and chickadees. Well, that's the writing in the Bangor Daily News. Used for everything from covering stacks of firewood to protecting seasonal machinery, they're a common sight on farms and in yards across Maine. It turns out those sheets of colored plastic could be contributing to the presence of microplastics in the soil. They're the most abundant form of solid waste pollution on the planet. According to, according to the Shaw Institute in Blue Hill, Maine, no studies have focused specifically on the impact of blue tarps on the problem. There's anecdotal evidence that tiny blue plastic pieces from tarps are ending up in the environment. In Maine, Maine Department of Environmental Protection didn't respond to repeated requests for comment. One of the indications blue plastic tarp microplastics are affecting Maine was discovered by chance during a University of Maine student research study. Rachel White, a Ph.D. student in ecology and environmental sciences, were looking at gastropods, snails, and slugs, and the role they play as vectors of parasites on Maine farms. Her research showed that the gastropod stomachs contain more than parasites. She created a synthetic stomach, acid, that dissolves the gastropods, but left any parasites unscathed. It turns out the gastropods also contained microplastics. Much of the microplastic material she found was blue. Her advisor at the university's veterinary diagnostic lab said the presence of the plastics was an unpleasant discovery. Quote, the uh, vet lab advisor, Dr. Ann Lichtenwalner, I was surprised and horrified. The process of seeing the plastics involved surviving an artificial stomach acid, which suggests they go through the digestive system. Unquote. It also means that whatever eats the gastropods are also ingesting the microplastics they contain, along with any parasites. Quote, it will work its way up the food chain, says the uh, Ph.D. candidate. If the parasites are going into an animal's body, so are the plastics. Unquote. Microplastics pose a risk of the environment even if they're not broken down. Once in the soil, studies have shown microplastics can potentially alter soil density, water holding capacity, populations of microbes, and influence plant development. As the blue tarps eventually degrade and start to fall apart, uh, as they're exposed to the elements, the more frayed it becomes, with bits of it breaking off and blowing away. 
White, the Ph.D. student, said she saw a lot of blue tarps and plastics on the farm she visited as part of her study and included questions about them in research. My main farmers are aware microplastics can be an issue, said a research assistant on the study. They want to do something about it. Farmers indicated they're open to learning about alternatives to plastics that they use on their property, including corn or soy-based products. Edible blue tarps, ladies and gentlemen, coming our way soon, perhaps. The torrent of man-made chemical and plastic waste worldwide has massively exceeded safe limits for humanity or the planet, according to Agence France Presse. Ah, the French. And scientists have concluded for the first time that production caps are needed. There are an estimated 350,000 different manufactured chemicals on the market, and large volumes of them end up in the environment. The impacts that we're starting to see today are large enough to be impacting crucial functions of planet Earth and its systems, said the co-author of a new study by the Stockholm Resilience Center. Chemicals and plastics are affecting biodiversity, piling additional stress on already stressed ecosystems. In a new study by Tel Aviv University, researchers found that in a marine environment, microplastics absorb and concentrate toxic organic substances. They thus increase their toxicity by a factor of 10. That may lead to a severe impact on human health. In this study says the chief researcher, we showed that even very low concentrations of environmental pollutants, which are non-toxic to humans, once absorbed to the microplastic, result in significant increase in toxicity. Microplastics are a kind of magnet for environmental pollutants, concentrating them on its surfaces, ferrying them through our digestive tract, and releasing them in a concentrated form in certain areas, thus causing increased Toxicity. So they're uh, poison magnifiers, are our friends the microplastics. Nice to know. And now, the apologies of the week. The Roman Catholic Archbishop of Armagh, Ireland. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day, everybody. He's the most reverend... Eamon Martin has reiterated his unreserved apology to victims of abuse at institutions run by the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland. This according to Church Times. He made a statement after the Stormont Assembly in Northern Ireland issued a public apology last Friday to victims of abuse in 22 Northern Irish children's homes run by churches, charities, and the state. Review chaired by the late Sir Anthony Hart, recommended the apology. Archbishop Martin said in his statement, Looking back, there's no doubt that many in positions of leadership within the church did not live up to the gospel message by their failure to intervene or to prevent the circumstances which led to physical, sexual, and emotional abuse of the little ones so beloved of Christ. The misuse of power and status in the church, the prevailing culture of judgment, guilt, and shame surrounding sexuality, and a lack of Christian empathy and compassion towards the poor and those less fortunate, blinded many in the church to the shocking neglect, sins, and crimes being perpetrated in their midst. Shame on us. 
unquote. Archbishop Martin. A North Carolina school superintendent has apologized for a mock slave auction in which white middle schoolers pretended to sell their black classmates. Quote, actions such as these, they just do not reflect who we are as a school system, said Superintendent Anthony Jackson, after parents raised an outcry, and I say unapologetically, will not be tolerated in the school system. Unquote him. A coalition of local groups called on the board to address the situation at the J.S. Waters School in Goldston, North Carolina. The school board adopted some policy changes and reviewed the student code of conduct and discipline policies involving acts of racism. Some parents complained several students involved were given just a one-day suspension. The mock auction happened in the presence of staff and faculty and was recorded on video. The school has 195 students, 68% white. Quote, these students were emboldened to not only commit brazen and overt acts of racism, but to retaliate further and continue their aggression after serving a perfunctory one-day suspension, a uh, coalition of parents said. It wants the district to raise the penalties for school employees who engage in racist behaviors, including making it a fireable offense. One of the parents said, quote, more should be done around addressing racism in schools. No parent should have to stand here after hearing their son was sold in a slave trade at school, unquote. A black schoolgirl was strip-searched by police in Hackney, a neighborhood in London, after being wrongly suspected of carrying cannabis. The traumatic search by Metropolitan Police officers took place without another adult present Whoops! at the girls' secondary school in Hackney. This according to the BBC. A safeguarding report on the incident concluded it was unjustified and racism was, quote, likely, unquote, to be a factor. Scotland Yard said the officers' actions were regrettable and should never have happened. The impact to the pupil, known as Child Q, was profound and the repercussions obvious and ongoing. Faculty members described her as changing from a happy-go-lucky girl to a timid recluse that hardly speaks, who now self-harms and needs therapy. Police were called to the school at the end of 2020 by teachers who told investigators they had been concerned the teenager had drugs in her possession because she smelt of cannabis. She was taken to the medical room and strip-searched by two female officers. Teachers remained outside. During the ordeal, her intimate body parts were exposed. She was made to take off her sanitary napkin. According to the review, no drugs were found. Her family strongly believed the strip search was a racist incident, and the review found her experiences are, quote, unlikely to have been the same had she not been black. The uh, review said it was highly likely that, quote, adultification bias, unquote, was a factor, where adults perceive black children as being older than they are because they see them as more, quote, streetwise, unquote. The girl, in a written statement to the review, said she wanted everyone who allowed the strip search to happen to be held responsible. I need to know that the people who have done this to me can't do it to anyone else ever again. 
unquote. School staff deferred to the police's authority and, quote, according to investigators, quote, should have been more challenging, unquote. At Katuak, a culture center located in Nuuk, Nuuk, N-U-U-K, Greenland, the Danish Prime Minister, Fredriksen, delivered a final apology this week for Denmark's role in an experiment in which 22 Greenland Inuit children, aged 4 to 9, were taken away from their families to be raised in Denmark. The ceremony, arranged by the Danish Prime Minister, was fully attended by the public, had Greenlandic musicians, authors, and speeches from both the Prime Minister and the Chairman of Greenland's government in the program. Today is an important part for uh, important day for Greenland and Denmark, Friedrichsen told the audience. I hope from the bottom of my heart we can put an ending remark to the injustice you have experienced in our common past. On behalf of Denmark, once again, we apologize. She uh, received a standing ovation for that. Greenland's chairman welcomed the apology and thank Denmark for admitting the nation's past mistake. That will be the foundation for the reconciliation of those things that happened but shouldn't have happened in our lives. What happened is, together with humanitarian organizations Save the Children, the Red Cross, and the then National Council of Denmark of Greenland, Denmark engaged in an experiment to remove 22 Greenlandic children from their homes and raise them in Denmark. The plan was to create a new Greenlandic elite by raising the children with a Danish mindset and then returning to Greenland to act as role models for the natives who remained. The experiment failed. The children forgot their mother tongue and uh, the distance from their families alienated them from the native communities. Six of the children were eventually adopted by Danish families. The other 16 were placed in a children's home in Nuuk. Many of the children suffered trauma from the experiment. Some even took their own lives. This was, of course, when Dan- Danish colonialism was still in practice, in effect, in Greenland. The uh, Greenland leader said Greenland had a responsibility according to why the apologies came this late. Now we know our history, and that is why we apologize for not pressuring the Danish state enough to make them admit their mistakes. MSNBC guest and former U.S. Ambassador to Russia Michael McFaul apologized this week for comparing Russian President Putin to Adolf Hitler. Quote, I made a mistake. I apologize. I will never make comparisons to Hitler again. Without historical analogizing, I will keep my analysis and my comments focused on the present evil. Putin, he said in a long Twitter thread. He's a Stanford University professor. His comments came last week during a segment on the Rachel Maddow show when he told the fill-in host, one difference between Putin and Hitler is that Hitler didn't kill ethnic Germans, German-speaking people. Putin slaughters the very people he said he has come to liberate. Now, that comment was reiterated in uh, the show's blog, setting off a firestorm of criticism, including from the Auschwitz Memorial. On a factual note, they said, Hitler did kill ethnic Germans and German-speaking people, those who opposed the Nazi regime, those who resisted, those who did not fit into the Weltanschung. 
He ordered the murder of people with different disabilities and finally the murder of German Jewry, it wrote in a tweet. McFall's apology continued to be clear. I was, of course, mistaken when I implied that Hitler did not kill ethnic Germans. I understand making any comment indirectly implying that Jews are in any way others was the last thing I wanted. That, of course, was not my intention. I deeply regret my comments, and I sincerely apologize, and now am moving forward. The uh, show's blog also deleted their tweet and issued a new one with an apology, a tweet apology. And finally, our only uh, show business apology this week. It uh, turns out Amy Mann didn't look like a perfect fit to open for Steely Dan on the band's twice-postponed summer tour, according to the Los Angeles Times. Not for the reason she initially suspected. Mann suggested it was sexism at work, but Steely Dan's Donald Fagan took the blame, apologizing and saying in a statement it was a matter of miscommunication and a perceived mismatch. Quote, I was supposed to open for Steely Dan this summer. I just found out that they took me off the bill, Mann wrote this week in an Instagram post. Quote, again, man, no one is entirely sure why, but it seems they thought their audience wouldn't like a female singer-songwriter? Question mark. As it happens, she continued, Steely Dan is the one band I 100% love with no reservations, so it really sucks. But you know what? People are allowed to not like you for whatever reason, unquote Amy Mann. Then Fagan issued a statement the next morning apologizing to the singer after choosing the... Um, mainly instrumental band Snarky Puppy as the opening act for Steely Dan. Well, first of all, the idea that I would make any decision based on gender of a performer is ridiculous. That's something that would never even occur to me, Fagan said. He blamed the communication problem on the Steely Dan side of the equation. Quote, I was misinformed as to how firm the commitment was to any particular opening act, and although I have the greatest respect for Amy as a writer and performer... I thought it might not be the best matchup in terms of musical style. But I can't pass the buck. I'll take the blame for the screw-up. I apologize for any distress this has caused Amy and her fans. Unquote Donald Fagan. There's a, a history to this tour. Steve Winwood was supposed to open for Dan back in 2020. The tour was postponed twice because of the pandemic. Then he backed out as the opener early February of this year, citing unforeseen circumstances. His website said the shows will still take place with Amy Mann and Snarky Puppy appearing as special guests, but a post that day on Steely Dan's Facebook page cited only Snarky Puppy. Amy Mann's original post drew support from musician Jason Isbell and actor-comedian Rob Delaney, the latter... Uh, called Fagan's side. Stupid idiots, at least it's not Steely Dan anymore, he said, referring to the fact that uh, Fagan's longtime partner uh, passed away a few years ago. Amy Mann said the night of uh, Fagan's apology, there's one way he could smooth out the wrinkles in their relationship. Quote, Amy Mann, all is given if Donald just tells me what Brooklyn is about, she tweeted referring to the Steely Dan song, Brooklyn Owes the Charmer Under Me. Well, 
If that's all it takes, that's all it takes. The uh, Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
seems obvious to me. From Santa Monica, California, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of Inspectors General. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, you better sit down for this, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, L.A. Police Commission in Los Angeles is uh, going to review a report from the Police Department's Inspector General. It says 41% of LAPD officers who shot at people in violation of Police Department's own policy were not disciplined. I know. Hard to believe, isn't it? 27 of the 66 officers found to have violated the rules on shootings by a civilian oversight board, escaped punishment, 13 were reprimanded, one was fired, 20 received unpaid suspensions. Oh, ouch. Cases for three other officers were pending. This uh, covers the years between 2015 and 2020. The mayor ordered the report a couple months ago over concerns the department system for disciplining officers too often results in officers escaping accountability for their actions involving potentially deadly force. Spokesman for the mayor told the L.A. Times, there's still an L.A. Times, that the mayor will review these findings closely and is committed to engaging in a robust discussion about learning from them after the police commission takes up the report. The uh, head of the police commission, as well as the inspector general for the police department, didn't comment. Police Chief Michael Moore, not the one you're thinking of, also declined to comment on the report. The board of directors of the police union said the commission makes more than its share of bad decisions that it in- and that independent discipline panels sometimes reach different conclusions than the commission. The union continued. LAPD officers are held accountable through one of the most rigorous, transparent, and extensive review processes in the nation. To apply otherwise would be disingenuous. The Inspector General's report cited 45 shooting incidents involving 66 officers, which resulted in the deaths of 20 people. Of 301 rounds fired during the shootings, 228 were ruled out of policy by the police commission, according to the report. You know, in, if you grew up in Los Angeles, as I did, you never knew that uh, the police commission had a policy on shootings. And now, here's with our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe. Well, what's happening at Fukushima? Eleven years after the thing, the Japanese government has set a decommissioning roadmap aiming for completion of the uh, cleanup of the mess in 29 years, is all. The challenge of removing melted fuel from the reactors is so daunting, according to the Associated Press. Some experts now say that setting a completion target is impossible since officials still don't have any idea about where to store the waste. 
That's <laughs> simple. You just, you just, you, you, you. Nuclear Regulation Authority Chairman Toyoshi Fukata said uh, recently, extra time would be needed to determine where and how the highly radioactive waste removed from the reactor should be stored. Japan, it turns out, you, you better sit down for this, has no final storage plans even for the highly radioactive waste that comes out of normal reactors. Nor do we. 24 of the country's 60 reactors are set for decommissioning, mainly because of the high cost needed to meet safety standards set up in the wake of the Fook disaster. Blame Fook. For the first time in the 66-year history of commercial nuclear power, operators must manage the exacting safety systems of a massive reactor plant under the guns of an occupying army that's killing their fellow citizens. You know where that is. The strain on the staffs of Ukraine's offline Chernobyl reactor facility and the operating, operating Zaporizhia nuclear plant, both under Russian control, is a serious growing issue, according to the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency in Vienna. Quote, I remain gravely concerned about the extremely difficult circumstances for the Ukrainian staff there, said uh, Mariano Rafael Mariano Grossi. The IAEA is receiving status reports from Ukraine's nuclear regulator. It continues to oversee three of that country's four operating nuke plants. Two of the six reactors at Zaporizhia uh, were running most recently under the direction of Russian operatives. Russia's state nuclear agency sent representatives According to reports from Ukrainian officials, the plant's operators faced new challenges when the site lost access to a third high-voltage line connection to Ukraine's power grid. This thing of supplying electricity to the plants that provide electricity keeps happening. One line and a backup remain connected, and plant safety is not threatened, the IAEA says. However, the plant had to reduce power to adjust to uh, the outages. And if all outside power is lost, the reactor cooling processes depend on emergency diesel generators. In in Chernobyl, 211 Ukrainian technicians and guards there are virtual prisoners inside the plant working without relief under enormous stress without the necessary rest, according to the IAE. The plant, wrecked by a 1986 explosion, is now encased in a steel dome as workers dismantle it and safeguard its spent fuel. Report this week in the Wall Street Journal, based on text messages with Chernobyl's staff and other accounts, described a tense hostage situation that has deteriorated since Russian troops took took over a couple weeks ago. Newspaper reported that workers during brief calls told family members of headaches, dizziness, nausea, and extreme fatigue. Says uh, Adam Stein, who works for the Breakthrough Institute, which advocates for nuclear power, I'm very concerned about the operator's health and well-being. I consider that to be the primary risk at these plants at the moment. What happens if nuclear reactor operators decide they're not going to work because of the conditions at the plant? That's speculative, he says, but it's a concern. He said there's concerns about workers' ability to maintain facilities and make repairs. Former chair of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, 
Says you want nuclear plant operators to be at their best, not tired, not distracted. If they're worried about their families, or in Chernobyl's case, not allowed to leave and reduced to eating dried porridge and canned food, they may miss things and make mistakes. There's no way of knowing if cost increases and missed construction deadlines are going to continue at the only U.S. underground nuclear waste repository. Hey, that's our solution. Uh, That report is quoting independent federal investigators. Federal watchdog report was made public this week, according to the AP. The Government Accountability Office outlined its concerns in its report, saying the Energy Department is not required to develop a corrective action plan for addressing the root causes of challenges at New Mexico's waste isolation pilot plant, the WIPP. A multi-million dollar project is underway at the facility to install a new ventilation system so that full operations can resume. This follows a radiation leak seven years ago that uh, closed the place for three years. Operations after it reopened had to be throttled back because parts of the facility were contaminated and airflow was reduced. Federal officials have said the construction project will ensure the repository can meet the Energy Department's needs for disposing of tons of Cold War-era waste left behind by decades of bomb-making and nuclear research. But the GAO report stated the Energy Department faces construction and regulatory risks that might delay its plans. Imagine that, a nuclear project delayed. According to Energy Department documents, the ventilation project as of last fall was projected to cost about $486 million, nearly 70% more than originally planned. The project is about three years behind schedule. New completion date estimated January 2026. Want to write that down somewhere in the kitchen? The Energy Department had blamed significant cost overruns and delays on the contractor's inexperience and difficulty in attracting workers to the area. This is in New Mexico, an expansive desert It's also home to one of the most productive oil fields in the world. I bet they can attract workers to that. Some corrective measures were taken, but department officials told the Government Accountability Office they have not updated an internal system. The system is designed to track risks and mitigation measures. Without those updates, Energy Department officials may not be able to meet their waste disposal schedule, which could in turn create shipping delays and cost increases for the sites that are generating the waste, according to the Accountability Office report. The report reiterated the repository is running out of permitted space for waste in the desert, ladies and gentlemen. They're running out of space for waste. The Energy Department has a large amount of transuranic waste, that's lab coats, rubber gloves, tools, and debris contaminated with plutonium and other radioactive elements at sites around the country that still needs to be disposed of somewhere. The repository was carved out of an ancient salt formation. Mmm, I love that ancient salt. But up-to-date pepper, about a half mile below the surface with the idea that the shifting salt would eventually entomb the radioactive waste. Salt we're depending on you. The uh, current footprint of the site includes eight panels, 
The Energy Department estimates those will be full up in 2025. There are plans for two new panels in the short term, but the report noted it's unclear whether the new space will be ready in time to prevent an interruption of disposal operations. Can you just uh, can you just hold that waste a little while longer? We're, 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 we're working on it. New Mexico regulators have also yet to approve permit changes and other requests from the Energy Department. It's unclear how long that'll take. Department officials, in response to the report, agreed with recommendations aimed at addressing the root causes of the cost increases and construction delays so that the DOE projects benefit taxpayers while reducing the risk to human health and the environment. Clean, cheap, too safe to meter. Our friend the Adam. And now, news of the godly. One of the former seminarians who was the victim of sexual abuse by the Argentine Bishop Emeritus, Gustavo Zanchetta, says the powerful prelate is in Argentina, says the powerful prelate manipulated young men under his authority with clothing, computers, and other gifts, discriminated against darker-skinned seminarians, and bragged about being friends with Pope Francis. This according to the Catholic News Agency. The truth is, we had a bad time, he says, this uh, one of the former seminarians, although we all entered with the illusion of being priests, of serving people in the name of God, we lived through very hard times of a lot of discrimination, of a lot of mistreatment and pain, because the church tried to hide everything that happened. He's identified only as M.C., he and another one-time seminarian identified in court documents as GGFL claimed that Janchetta had made enormous, oh sorry, amorous proposals and asked them to give him massages. An Argentine court earlier this month found him guilty of sexual abuse against the two men. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. The victim, now 28, entered the seminary when he was 19. He said Zan Chata had a select group of young people to whom he offered jackets, sweatshirts, computers, and money. In same way, I belonged to that group, but I didn't want to get carried away by everything he did, he said. Many came from poor families, he said. I also came from a family that sometimes didn't have enough to eat. And with that knowledge, he manipulated a lot. He would push you where you were most fragile. Unquote. The diocese was located in northern Argentina, and he was uh, the prelate for four years in the teens of this century. His appointment was done, one of the first done, by Pope Francis in his native Argentina. Zanchetta stepped down in 2017, claiming health reasons, subsequently appointed as an assessor at the Vatican's Administration on the Patrimony of the Holy See, a position created especially for him. That uh, APSA, the administration, oversees the Vatican's real estate holdings and other sovereign assets. He was later suspended and then controversially reinstated to that role amid a canonical investigation into his conduct. In the interview, MC said Zanchetta used his close relationship with Pope Francis as another means of manipulation. Quote, he always bragged about being a friend of the Pope and that he talked to him about us. That put pressure on us because he said, I can close this seminary and don't contradict me because I'm the bishop. We were practically nothing, 
to him, M.C. said. He discriminated against seminarians for being dark-skinned or for being fat or being old. He began to more fully understand Zanchetta's abusive behavior after conversation with a priest toward the end of his time in the seminary. I opened my eyes and realized everything we had lived through. We were very manipulated. We did not understand the dimension of everything he had done. Now his process of manipulation began. Sometimes the priests told me I was exaggerating, and today I realized they tried to cover up and minimize. At one point, I thought I was crazy. There was so much pressure because they drilled these ideas into my head. Unquote. As of this week, the Vatican had yet to release any statement on Zanchetta's conviction. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. It's kind of inspirational. And now... News of the warm, won't you? Warm is nice, right? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. A new study shows that smoke from wildfires destroys the ozone layer. Apparently, even pharmaceutical commercials destroy the ozone layer. Researchers caution that if major fires become more frequent with a changing climate, more damaging ultraviolet radiation from the sun will reach the ground. Atmospheric scientists, chemists, as a matter of fact, in the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, found that smoke from the Australian wildfires a couple years ago destroyed atmospheric ozone in the southern hemisphere for months. The ozone shield is part of the stratosphere layer of the Earth's atmosphere that absorbs UV rays from the sun. Similar to the holes over polar regions, this damage is a temporary effect. The ozone levels return to pre-wildfire levels once the smoke disappeared from the stratosphere, but an increase in the prevalence of wildfires would mean the destruction happens more often. Researchers warn that permafrost peatlands in Europe and western Siberia are much closer to a climatic tipping point than previously believed. The frozen peatlands in these areas store up to 39 billion tons of carbon, twice that stored in the whole of European forests. A new study led by the University of Leeds used the uh, latest generation of climate models to examine possible future climates of these regions and the likely impact on their permafrost peatlands Projections indicate that even with the strongest efforts to reduce global climate emissions and therefore limit, limit global warming, by 2040 the climates of northern Europe will no longer be cold and dry enough to sustain peat permafrost. You remember him. No, however, strong action to reduce emissions could help preserve suitable climates for permafrost peatlands in northern parts of western Siberia. That's got about 13.9 billion tons of the stuff. The study published in Nature Climate Change emphasizes the importance of policies aimed at reducing emissions and mitigating climate change and their role in determining the right and extent of peatland thaw. We don't want that, apparently. The Great Barrier Reef has been hit by a widespread bleaching event. Sounds like something that happened in Beverly Hills. Attributed to heat stress, authorities say, 
Days ahead of a UNESCO trip that will inspect the site's health to review whether the reef should be listed as in danger. Australia was able to avoid a danger listing for the site last year by lobbying to push the decision to later this year. Bleaching has been detected across the marine park part of the reef. It's widespread but variable across multiple regions, ranging in impact from minor to severe, said the park authority. Surveillance flights over the 1,200-mile network of corals revealed minor to severe bleaching caused by significant heat stress over the summer. And the coldest location on the planet has experienced an episode of very warm weather this year, this week, unlike any ab- ever observed, according to the Washington Post. Temperatures over the eastern Antarctic ice sheet soared 50 to 90 degrees above normal. The warmth has smashed records and shocked scientists. And they're hard to shock. Quote, this event is completely unexpected and upended our expectations about the Antarctic climate system, says Jonathan Willey, a researcher studying polar meteorology at the Université Grenoble-Alpes in France. Antarctic climatology has been rewritten, tweeted another researcher. He added, such temperature anomalies would have been considered impossible and unthinkable until they occurred. Parts of eastern Antarctica have seen temperatures hover 70 degrees Fahrenheit above normal for more than three days. He likened the event, did Willie, to the June heat wave in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, which scientists concluded would have been virtually impossible without human-caused climate change. What is considered warm over the frozen barren confines of eastern Antarctica, of course, is relative. Instead of temperatures being minus 50 or 60 degrees Fahrenheit, they've been closer to zero or 10 degrees Fahrenheit, a massive heat wave by Antarctic standards. Willie said the warm conditions over Antarctica were spurred by an extreme atmospheric river, a narrow corridor of water vapor in the sky on its east coast. The moisture diffused and spread over the interior of Antarctica. A strong blocking high-pressure system, or heat dome, moved in over east of the continent, preventing the moisture from escaping. The heat dome was exceptionally intense, five standard deviations above normal. The abnormally high temperatures have caused some melting in the region, according to models, which is unusual as this part of Antarctica doesn't provide a lot of work for models. No, doesn't experience much melt often. A couple of other researchers suggest more study is needed as to whether this phenomenon is connected to climate change. Quote, we can't tell whether this is going to be a new trend or is just an oddity that occurs occasionally on a most fascinating continent, they write. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same radio stations or at a time of your choosing on your audio device of choice. And it would be just like getting the Russians out of the Chernobyl control room if you'd agree to join me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans, and to Pam Halstead for help with the face program. The email address for this program, the playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts. Remember them? All at harryshearer.com. A lot of other stuff there too. Stuff to read, stuff to watch, stuff to listen to, stuff to bore you silly. It's all there. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.